Welcome to Kingston Reads Word to the Wise podcast series for HR and safety professionals. Welcome to the Kingston Read podcast. I'm Stephen Amendola and I have with me Brendan Milne, who's a partner in the Melbourne office. And today we're going to talk to you about the implications in relation to bargaining as a result of the amendments that have been made to the Fair Work Act that got through the Parliament about a week or so ago and received royal assent on the 6th of December. The first thing I think we should I should ask you, Brendan, is what does that mean in terms of when provisions will come into effect in relation to bargaining? Well, the Act, Stephen, as you know, has different dates depending on what provisions we're talking about. But in relation to the bargaining provisions, they're intended generally to start on the 6th of June 2023. But that's provided that there's not an earlier date fixed by proclamation. So it could start, these provisions could start prior to June 2023. Which would be interesting if that was the case. One of the things that seems to be the case is that the provisions are sort of trying to cause employers to think about bargaining more generally uh, and perhaps more about enterprise bargaining more specifically. What would you what would you say about that? Absolutely. I think that the provisions have been designed in a manner that effectively pushes employers into bargaining. I think that the explanatory memorandum and and other supporting documentation made pretty clear that the purpose of these amendments was largely to create better access to bargaining and make it easier for employees to um, engage in that bargaining. So one of the things that I see out of that is that those employers who've either been able to stand still in terms of agreements that might have expired, which they haven't done anything about, you know, particularly in the retail sector, for example, but it's not the only sector, or who have avoided being drawn into the bargaining vortex, will probably find it more difficult to be able to do so in future. I agree with that, Stephen. I think that a couple of different changes have that effect. Probably one of the first changes that I can speak about now is the additional um, trigger point for negotiating single enterprise agreements. So as you're aware, previously, an employer could effectively only be compelled to negotiate a single enterprise agreement where a majority support determination was made or a scope order was made. Under the amendments, there's now an additional circumstance where an employer can be compelled. And that's when one employee effectively requests or or their representative requests that bargaining commence in writing. Now, there are a number of preconditions to that. The first is that the new enterprise agreement will effectively have to replace an old single enterprise agreement that has passed its nominal expiry date. There must not be more than five years have passed since that nominal expiry date that the Fair Fair Work Commission hasn't made a single interest employer authorisation, which we'll speak about shortly, and that the proposed agreement will cover the same or substantially the same group of employees as the earlier agreement did. So what what does that really mean? Well, I think what it really means is that it's ironic because uh, there's such an emphasis on the idea of collective and collective bargaining, but you can have a single employee in the relevant circumstances determining that bargaining will commence irrespective of the views of other employees. It's sort of ironic. And I think it will have a particular impact on decentralised businesses where unions have traditionally struggled to demonstrate majority support 
Um, now they don't have to show that. They can kick off bargaining with just the one employee, as you say. So multi-enterprise bargaining, which in which there's been a lot of column inches uh, spent talking about. It is very different now than the landscape it was previously. Well, previously employers could only really be compelled to bargain for a multi-enterprise agreement where the Commission made a low-paid authorisation. Under the new provisions, employers will be compelled to bargain for multi-enterprise agreements where the Commission's made either a single interest employer authorisation or a supported bargaining authorisation. So whilst single interest employer authorisations previously existed, they could only really be made with the consent of the relevant employers and only in limited circumstances. The new provisions effectively allow employee bargaining representatives to apply for them, whether relevant employers have a clearly identifiable common interest and reasonably comparable operations and business activities. Again, they'd have to show that the majority of employees want to be covered by the relevant agreement, but that can be done without the consent of the employer. So it significantly expanded the circumstances in which such an authorisation can be made. So it will be easier to commence the process compared to the way it was under the previous legislation, and that's probably significant because you only really need a small group of employers or even an employer to get the ball rolling in terms of these authorisations. And then what? (laughs) Well, and the other change are the supported bargaining authorisations, which they've really replaced the old low-paid authorisations, but they've significantly expanded the circumstances in which they will apply. So the new provisions, which are intended, at least intended to operate in a similar manner to the low-paid authorisation framework, make it much easier to access them and lower the bar significantly. So to make one, all that's really necessary is the Commission is satisfied that it's appropriate for the relevant employers to bargain together, having you know consideration to factors such as prevailing terms and conditions in the industry, whether there's clearly um, identifiable common interests or indeed where the ministers made a declaration in relation to a particular industry, sector or occupation. One of the things that's interesting about that is that there was discussion that multi-employer bargaining might be limited to the low-paid sectors. Single-interest employer authorisations put paid to the idea of that. But even the supported bargaining provisions, they're called supported bargaining that are replacing low-paid bargaining. But in terms, they're not expressed to be limited. And when the minister can make a declaration about a sector perhaps being subject to supported bargaining, it's a bit more at large than was discussed. And I mean, there are some important exclusions from the authorisation provisions. For example, employers that have less than 20 employees generally can't be covered by an authorisation, nor can authorisations be made in relation to general building and construction work. But those exclusions themselves are very limited. Now, I would have thought that in respect of construction, whilst the CFMEU would be able to want to pursue the way it successfully pursued patent bargaining, despite the prohibition on patent bargaining in the legislation, over the last number of years, it won't really affect their business model particularly much in that regard. So businesses with 20 employees or less are out. What about other businesses and any tests that might apply to them? So 
as we know, there were some amendments in the Senate. Mm-hmm. One of those amendments related to concerns about the threshold for the small business exemption, so they're 20 employees. Some new provisions were agreed to, which effectively provide that if you have less than 50 employees, the union is able to, the, the union that makes an application will get into what we describe as roping in, bears the onus of demonstrating the test, that there's a common interest and that they're reasonably comparable. Exactly. Whereas if you've got 50 or more employees, the onus reverses. That's right. So that an employer with 50 or more employees has to demonstrate that it's not in the common interest and it's not reasonably comparable, which seems pretty odd in the circumstances because the original provisions put the onus on a union trying to rope you in to actually demonstrate common interest and reasonable comparability. Something to thank Senator Pocock for, perhaps. The other really important thing about authorisations is once they're made, the relevant employer is effectively locked in. They can't bargain for another type of agreement. And whilst employers can apply to have their names removed from authorisations, we expect that will happen in very limited situations. Under the, pre- under the early amendments, you needed the approval of registered organisations to actually be removed, even if the employer wanted to be out and the employees agreed. I think there's some sort of voting process if the registered organisations don't agree, but that in itself is interesting. We're sort of talking around the topic of roping in, but in a broad sense, you can be dragged in unwillingly. Absolutely. But you can be kept in unwillingly as well. Let's talk about what I think is probably the most controversial element of multi-employer bargains in that single interest employer and uh, supported bargaining space. And that is, once you've got an agreement, the capacity to expand the operation of that, in quotation marks, agreement. So that's another significant change, and I agree with you that it's probably the most significant change. So under the new provisions, employers can be roped into existing multi-enterprise agreements, even without their consent. The relevant test differs depending on whether the agreement is a single interest employer agreement or a supported bargaining agreement and whether the application is made by the employer because employers and their employees can seek to be covered by an agreement or whether it's made by effectively employees and or their union. In the case of a supported bargaining agreement, the commission really only needs to be satisfied that the majority of employees want to be covered by the agreement and that it's appropriate for the employee to be covered by the agreement in the circumstances. And that's taking into account the views of the parties effectively. In the case of a single interest employer agreement, the commission needs to be satisfied that the majority of employees want to be covered by it and that the employers taken as a whole have clearly identifiable common interests with the other employers. So a similar test that would apply in the case of roping an employer into the authorisation. So, because this has been really spoken about, but so the way in which the system seems to operate is that you can get an authorisation, you can get an agreement with an employer with whom you bargain as a result of that authorisation, be it single interest or supported bargaining, but let's just look at single interest employer authorisations. Then thereafter, an employer can be effectively compelled to be covered by a document that they've neither bargained for nor even agreed to. Uh, As long as that sort of test, the majority of employees say they want to be covered by it and there's a common interest and it's reasonably comparable. That's 
really not bargaining and it's not really agreement making. In fact, to describe anyone who's roped in in those circumstances as being covered by an agreement is a complete misnomer. But the other thing that's interesting about it, because I'm old enough to remember this, is that before uh, awards were common rule in the federal system, uh, they applied to nominated employers or employee, employer associations. And unions often roped employers into awards. And it's like what's old is new again, except it's a different mechanism. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, that was um, a bit before I started practicing, but it, it does, it, it seems very unusual to call something bargaining uh, when you don't bargain for it or something an agreement when you haven't agreed to it. And that, that to me, as you rightly point out, I think is quite a misnomer and probably the effect of it won't be known for some time, but it's, I think that we're all pretty concerned about the impact it might have on competition within the market. These roping in provisions, you can be roped in to an agreement of a competitor. Now, often, as we know, competitive advantage is, is, is achieved through employment arrangements, wages, flexibility in agreement and whatnot. So once you level that playing field, it becomes a very interesting dynamic for competition in the market more generally. Yep, I think, that, I think that's right. The only other thing I thought I'd raise with you, Brendan, is the power that the Commission might otherwise have to deal with an agreement that comes before it if there are concerns about whether it's meeting the boot test, which we can deal with in another, in another podcast at another time. And what your thoughts about that are? Yeah, absolutely. So under the new provisions, the Commission can effectively amend an agreement to, to deal with any concerns it has about it meeting the better off overall test. So previously, as we're all aware, employers would often be required to offer undertakings to address any concerns. Whilst undertakings are still available under the new provisions, this additional power where, whereby the Commission can amend the agreement, um, even without the consent of the parties, has been added. That is, again, a, a significant change and it's, again, quite ironic because a third party determining the rights and obligations under an agreement, irrespective of the parties and only taking into account their views, um, raises the question of whether that is in fact in an agreement that has been reached by the parties. Initially, I think the, the, the initial amendments proposed that it was at large and that you didn't even have to take into account the view of the parties. You know, the Commission might talk to the parties. Now they're required to talk to the parties, but they can still make a decision. Well. There's a lot of change on the horizon and galloping down the highway, and it'll either be in six months' time or earlier uh, if by proclamation. Thank you very much. Thank you.